You are listening to audio from the church at Junius Heights. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website, thechurchatjuniusheights.org. The manger is absolutely unequivocally true. It actually happened. Every single bit of it, the manger is true. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It is true, the one who was with God in the beginning, the one through whom all things that were created, every single thing that was made, was made through him. That one that John and Genesis both talk about, that one was there in the beginning and he became man. He put on skin and bones. He became human. And, and while that is maybe the second most unbelievable thing that's ever happened in all of humanity, I want to submit to you guys this evening that the uh, root of Christmas, the goal of the incarnation has been largely missed. That we have, through the help of Will Ferrell and thinking about Jesus as a little baby, if you've seen that movie, through Hollywood and just sort of the commercialization of all of this stuff that looks like Christmas and smells like Christmas and sparkles like Christmas, the incarnation has been inoculated. It has been minimized. It has been commercialized. It has been stolen. Jesus didn't come for us to just have a joyful month. It didn't come for us to exchange presents and think about this as giving and receiving. It didn't come just for us to be a little less naughty and a little more nice for a little bit of time. He didn't come to have a holiday season that's blustering. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to 1 John. 1 John, if you have your Bibles, 1 John, if you don't, it'll be on the screen. 1 John is just before Revelation, and 1 John gives us clarity on the goal, gives us clarity on why Jesus came. 1 John chapter 3, I'm going to read little bits all the way through verse 8, so just follow along. Verse 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Down to verse 5. You know that he appeared to us to take away sins. And in, in him, in him there is no sin. Verse six, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Verse seven, little children, let no one deceive you or fool you. Skip down to verse eight. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He came to take away sins and destroy the works of the devil. And I don't know why more Christmas movies are not titled that. Why is there not any movies out on Netflix that says he came to destroy the devil's works? Because no one would watch it. We want to see love stories of people falling in love around Christmas cookies and watch Hallmark movies while we eat popcorn. We want there to be Christmas trees covered in lights. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to cancel the sin that had covered us. I'm going to ask you to finish the song. I'm going to give you three words, and I want you to participate more than you did when we are reading the, the scriptures at the beginning. I want you to say these words if you know them. And if I'm singing, you're singing, okay? Here we go. Oh, tidings of... You nailed it. You know the song, Tidings of Comfort and Joy. You nailed it. That song is from God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. That's a really old song from the 1600s. And the rest of the song goes this. God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day 
to save us all from Satan's power when we are gone astray. And I don't know why God wants me to preach about this today, but it feels like we've forgotten that the goal of Christmas is to save us from the power of the enemy. We've all gone astray, but Jesus came to take away sin. We have a powerful adversary, but Jesus came to destroy his work. This is the motivation behind the incarnation. This is why he came. The author of 1 John was the apostle John, the disciple John. He was in Jesus' closest company, John, in the book of John, in the gospel account, says he, John, was the one that Jesus loves the most. He's the guy that da Vinci painted on the Sistine Chapel, John, right next to Jesus. Not Sistine Chapel, on the, on the oh yeah, in the Sistine Chapel, right next to Jesus. John, John was the oldest disciple to die. The, the storyline is that he died about 60 years after the resurrection. So John has seen the church progress. He's seen the Christians move forward. And he's writing in 1 John to a group of believers at, at probably at modern day Turkey, somewhere on, modern, on the coast where Ephesus is. And so this is a real story that really happened on planet earth that John from jail writes to a church to remind them this is why Jesus came. He writes to a real church, don't forget who you are and what is possible because of Christ's arrival. He wants them not to forget and, and he wants us, I think Jesus and maybe John up in heaven wants us to be the same. We don't forget the real anchor, the real meaning of Christmas. So have we all gone astray? I'm a skeptic. I don't know if there's anybody in here that thinks critically about people who speak and kind of sift through their words and want to, maybe I buy it, maybe I don't. I, I kind of live in that zone. And to, to say there is an absolute morally corrupt adversary seems a little bit unintellectual, don't you think? I've heard people say that to me a lot, quite actually. But the people who say that are in one of the smallest populations of people on planet Earth. Since the beginning of time, every population, every people group has attributed some moral corruption, some brokenness to an evil source. Only in the last couple hundred years has there been a shift where people don't think that's legitimate. If you don't believe that there's an enemy, you're in the smallest of populations. And the Bible's replete references from Genesis to the end in Revelation that we have an adversary. It's over and over and over again. We have an adversary, we have an adversary. John says it one way, his buddy Peter says it another way. Peter says that there is a, an enemy, he's like a lion, crouching, seeking those he might devour. And we see, if we just slow down enough and look around with our own eyes, the evidences of sin that Jesus came to remove, to wipe away. And we see evidences of an evil work all over the world. Before our eyes, John's words become true. If you look through history, if you've studied any history books, what do you see? Well, you see, a lot of times, if you get to the you know, history channel or you get to history books, you see a pattern of brokenness. World wars, genocide. When Jesus showed up, there were holy wars. People were fighting in his name. The world has have things like plagues, slavery, racism, terrorism. If you don't think there's a brokenness in the world, just look at history. You see corruption over and over and over again. Currently, if you look at this life today on the news, if you pop onto any news channel, you'll see some of this stuff playing out. Global hun hunger, child slavery is real. Communist oppression, mass shootings, families, the whole idea of family just 
cratering because selfishness has woven its way in. Addictions of all kinds. If you don't believe there's a brokenness that has come, a sin that needs to be rescued from, if you don't think there's an, an adversary that's putting all this together, just look at the news. If you look in your own life, if I look in my own life, I don't have to look to the news or to history. I can just look in the mirror. I don't know, parents, if there's any parents in here have been short-tempered over Christmas, I need to get some lessons from you. If you've not been short-tempered over Christmas, let me know. I feel it in my bones, like this quick wordedness. I feel this sharpness. And, and I look in my, my kids over and over again, the thing they've been saying the most is, I want. All they say is, I want. My list is this big. I've seen the list and list and list. They just want stuff. If you don't think the world's broken, look at little kids at Christmas. All they do is want their own things. They don't give. They just want to take at least both of my kids are like that. And I, I don't know if anybody has been trampled on Black Friday. I know a few years ago they have, but man, Black Friday's crazy. People just spend all of their money. If you don't think brokenness is present, look around at poverty, look around at debt, look around in our own lives. Brokenness is everywhere. Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. There's an origin and a source that rolls through all of humanity. Everything you wish you could move past. Everything you wish you could delete from your history. Every shame and guilt. Every harsh word you spoke in anger all the things you wish you could bury in yesterday, all of those moments of pain and hurt, they have a source. And if you're here thinking, I did not come to a Christmas Eve service to hear all this, now is the time you need to lean in because it gets worse. The brokenness that we see in the world and in our own lives and history books, that brokenness is just the effects of sin. What happened in the garden that has transferred to all of us that has separated us from God, absolutely. I don't know why I started looking at this and so this is sort of how my sermon planning goes. I start thinking about something, I get on a rabbit trail. Do you know that you can compost, if you rotate it long enough, quick enough, you can compost food scraps back into regular old dirt in 18 days? If you just put all your food scraps in the backyard and keep flipping it, It'll just go back to dirt in 18 days. It falls apart and corrupts. You could throw a diamond in a pile of rotting peaches and in 18 days, the peaches will turn into dirt and the diamond will still be there. The problem of sin is that it separates us. God is perfect and pure and holy and we are corrupt because of sin. The problem that Jesus came to solve at Christmas is that one. How bad when we slow down to think, do we need a savior? How bad when we slow down to look at the news, do we wish somebody would come and fix all of this? How bad did the world need someone to rescue them? God loves us, he sees us, he knows our brokenness and at just the right time where the stars were perfectly mapped. Do you know that you can go to see any sort of planetarium anywhere and they have the same ceiling because the stars are in the same place every day, but at a certain point in time, 2,000 years ago, the stars were wound up so that a giant star would hover over and look like it's moving. Just the right time, God dialed up the Savior to enter into the world. This is what we call Christmas. He's come to make all of the bad things untrue. 
He's come to rescue us out of our pit of rotting, rotting peaches that we made. This is why the prophet Isaiah that we read out loud, this is why the prophet Isaiah called him Prince of Peace. His name will be Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. He came for the wars inside of us, for the wars in the world and the wars in our hearts and the wars in our families. He came to restore those. In love, Jesus came to eradicate the power of sin. This is what Christmas is really about. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. It was a landed invasion. It was espionage at the highest level. He disappeared into humanity for 300 years. The God who created everything slides in under the radar in a manger, disappearing for three decades, for three years to prove to all of us that he's the one who came to fix everything. He came to be for all of mankind, the one atoning sacrifice who can put an end to all of this. He's the Prince of Peace. Humanity needed a savior, we needed a savior, and the only way we could be saved is, is if he came. This was a rescue mission, Christmas Eve, the nativity outside, the baby in a manger, it was a rescue mission. Do you see the manger like that this Christmas? Do we know him like that? Is he the one that breaks our chains and gives us new life? Is he the one that gives us hope in the midst of trials that are unspeakable? Is he the one and a better question maybe is, do we believe that he's the one? Because it's in our belief about Christmas. It's in our belief about Jesus, the Messiah, that changes everything. Either we do trust him and think that he can, or we think maybe he's just an accessory that should be put on the shelf for us to look at once a year, but maybe he's not as powerful as the prophet Isaiah says he is. Maybe not. Does your life, does my life reflect that I believe that he came to fix all of this? If he is not, and if we do not, then our spirit of Christmas, our bubbliness, our decoratory sort of interactions, all of the sort of merriment that we, we put on is just putting on. It's a facade. It may actually be more like self-deception. But if we believe that he came, if we really believe that the baby in a manger was the rescue mission we needed for sin, if we believe that, then something deep in our bones shifts. Something from the ground to the top of our, top of our heads, something shifts where we believe differently. When we sing songs like, Oh Holy Night, long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared. And then all of a sudden we started to believe that we were worthy. When he appeared, the soul felt its worth. When he showed up, we start to look and go, maybe this is not all there is. The thrill of hope rushes through us. This Christmas church, have we anchored into this truth in a way? Do we believe this in a way that the thrill of hope comes up in us? That we're buoyant. Hope is keeping us on the surface of our trials, knowing that yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. If, if Jesus came, and he really is God incarnate, and he came to do what John says he came to do, then we may face terrible trials and suffering and sadness, but we may also have hope that goes right through those. 
This is what he came to offer us. Well, for the skeptic in here, I was listening to my own sermon earlier and I said, well, 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 yeah, okay, Travis. You say he's the prince of peace, but look at the last 2,000 years. There's been no peace on earth, really. If you look at that, then he's not been very effective. If he came to be the prince of peace, what's up? I mean, I'm, I'm living in a peaceless environment currently here at Christmas, listening to you talk. The world doesn't feel peaceful. Maybe I don't feel peaceful. Um, turn to Luke chapter two if you have your Bibles. I wanna show you something. And for those of you looking in your Bibles, when you get there, say, Pastor Trav, I'm with you. Nobody is with me today or just as hard to find Luke? Thank you. Golly, guys, this is a perfect time for interaction here when I invite you to. Luke chapter two, verse 14. The angels appear. I wasn't, I wasn't even where y'all were. I was in Matthew. Hold on a second. Luke chapter two, verse 14. And suddenly, verse 13, sorry, there was an angel, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom with he is pleased. Let your mind imagine that scene for a second. Two lonely shepherds in a field Sheep sleeping and making sleeping sheep noises. And then the sky rips open. And one angel turns into thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And they're all singing together, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. But you know what those angels didn't do? God didn't send them out of heaven to set up peace camps all around the neighborhood. God is restraining his peace governmentally. He's restraining his peace externally, but only for a time. Only for a little bit will he, angels in the Old Testament, slay thousands upon thousands in one night. But at this point, they're all just singing, being held back until the time the Bible says where he comes rushing in. And no more pain, no more sickness, no more sadness, no more hurt, no more broken trust, no more cancer, none of that. There'll be a day, the second advent, when Jesus Christ returns. This is the thrill of hope. The external peace we long for is coming. It's coming. The government will be upon his shoulders, Isaiah says. It's coming. But until external peace arrives, internal peace is available right now. Right this second. At Christmas, he's offering us himself to be our peace. The book of Acts shows us in the end of Luke and over and over and over again we see in the scriptures the Holy Spirit, well the Holy Spirit came. Jesus didn't leave us at the ascension. He sent us the Holy Spirit. He is in us and with us right now. His name at Christmas we always think about is Emmanuel, God with us. If this is true, then peace is right here ready. It's just a battle of belief at this point, Right? I believe my circumstance is heavier than the peace God offers. I believe the circumstance of the world is bigger and heavier in my heart that I look at and I see and I can't reconcile. I believe that is more significant than the king of the universe showing up. It's a measure of belief. The prince of peace has arrived and he wants to meet us in that intimate space where we go, I need your help. You came to, to destroy sin 
and I have lots of it. You came to eradicate the work of the enemy and he's been working a lot. I can't do it, I need you. This is the place where Christmas comes alive. And when we believe this, Philippians 4 says we can have peace that goes beyond all understanding. That will guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. Do you need guards around your heart? Is the chaos inside, is the thought life behind your eyes so unstoppable that you just, you just don't have anymore? If that is true, the God of the universe wants to fix that. That's why he came at Christmas. So peace can come internally. One heart one living room, one conversation, one Christmas morning at a time, the Prince of Peace has come. He has advented. And I won't make you turn to this, but there's a place in Luke, as we close, there's a place in Luke where Jesus comes in. And it's the road on the way to the week of suffering. He's on his way in and they're singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. It's a triumphal entry. And Jesus finishes that walk in and he looks at Jerusalem and he starts to weep. In Luke 19, 44, he sees the city and he knows what's gonna happen and he says this prophecy, it's gonna go bad for you. If you had just known the day, this day, even you, Jerusalem, that the one who can bring peace is here. But you don't, you don't know and so you miss it. And he goes through and lists out all the consequences of missing it, what's gonna happen. He said, they have been hidden. These things are true. They've been hidden from your eyes because you did not recognize the time of my visitation. I hope that this Christmas isn't like that for me and my family. I hope this Christmas isn't like that for you. That you don't miss, you don't recognize the time of his visitation. He has visited the earth and he came to set all things right and he has the power to do it if we'll offer ourselves to him like he's offered himself to us. So tonight, you're invited into that one space where you think, I don't think God can fix this. He can't clean this up. He can't wash this away. He can. This is why he came. This is, this is the goal of Christmas. And so we're gonna have a couple songs to respond. We're gonna have communion. But this part of Christmas service and any service here at Genius Heights is to, to respond. I don't know what that looks like for you. If inside you're just taking notes, if you need to write something down, if we need to pray for you, please take this space to do it. But don't miss, don't miss it. Like Jerusalem, don't miss it. The Christmas is not about us. It's about the one who came to rescue us and fix all this stuff that is tearing us down, sin and the works of the enemy. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came, that we can look at all of the evidences of this, that you came. 2,000 Roman crucifixions, 200,000 of them, and, and everyone talks about yours. And there's no gravestone to go visit you at because you rose. And so Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you that none of our past is bigger than your presence. Thank you that you've extended grace to us in a way that we can extend to other people. Thank you that this is not all there is. This life isn't it. There's so much more that the thrill of hope can rush through us when we know that this is not the end. And so Jesus, give us eyes to see that. Give us eyes to see Christmas and all of the things that point us to you. 
Help us to remember and know and receive you. In the clear and powerful way that you've come, Lord Jesus, let us receive you. We can't do it without you, so Holy Spirit, would you make these moves in our hearts as you need to, want to, in Jesus' name, amen.